Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and Grim Defeat. Today we will be discussing how Snape can get away with everything he does, how the Dementors get away with everything they do, and what we learn about the night of James and Lily's death. So this chapter begins almost immediately after the events of the last chapter. So after the fat lady was found slashed to pieces, um, all the students of Hogwarts are moved to the Great Hall where they um, are supposed to sleep for the night. And everybody is really too excited to sleep. Everybody keeps floating theories about how they think Sirius Black might have gotten in. Harry, during this time, while they're supposed to be sleeping, overhears Snape and Dumbledore having a conversation, during which Snape infers to Dumbledore that he thinks someone inside Hogwarts helped Black get in. Over the next few days, everyone is very careful around Harry, especially Professor McGonagall, who tries to tell Harry about Black being after him, but Harry sort of dully says that he already knows everything about that because he overheard Arthur Weasley telling Molly Weasley about it. Harry tries to focus on Quidditch, but then the Gryffindor team finds out that they are playing Hufflepuff instead of Slytherin in the next match because Malfoy, who is their seeker, is still injured, quote-unquote. In the next Defense Against the Dark Arts class, they find that Snape is actually subbing in for Lupin, and he makes them spend the whole class talking about and answering questions about werewolves and how to identify them. During this class, Ron ends up getting detention for defending Hermione because she keeps raising her hand, she knows the answers, she's the only one who does, and Snape is deliberately ignoring her. Then we have the first Quidditch match of the season. Um, The rain and the wind conditions are terrible, and Harry ends up fighting with Cedric Diggory, a newly introduced character, to find the snitch quickly, but he's distracted by the sight of the Grimm in the stands. All of a sudden, Harry feels very cold, and he blacks out. Um, He hears a woman screaming, not Harry, not Harry, very confused. Um, He wakes up in the hospital wing and finds out from Ron and Hermione that the Dementors came onto the field, and Harry then fainted and fell off his broom. Catastrophe after catastrophe, he finds out not only did they lose the match because Diggory got the snitch while this was happening, but that Harry's Nimbus also flew into the Whomping Willow and was completely destroyed. So the first really important interaction that happens in this chapter is the conversation that Harry overhears um, between Snape and Dumbledore while um, they are all supposed to be sleeping in the Great Hall. Which, side note, Harry is very um, eavesdroppy, and (laughs) actually many times throughout this book, in the past and also further along in this book, what he finds out, he finds out major plot points only by eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. That's So that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. That's her device. I mean, I cuz I guess there's no other way that he would have found out this stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the best way um of communicating stuff to the reader, but uh you know, it is kind of funny. It is funny. And it's also funny that Percy is like ostensibly there and part of that conversation as head boy, but like Snape keeps like edging him out of the conversation and is like clearly trying to talk so that Percy can't hear him. Right. But Harry still can for some reason. I don't know. I know. It's interesting. But anyway, what he does here um, is basically Snape saying to Dumbledore, I did express my concerns to you um, when this new person was hired. um, And really, it's not saying anyone's name. um, But 
Harry and the reader infers that he is talking about Lupin. Right. Um, because that is, they know that he's the new professor. Um, and basically Snape is trying to infer for some reason to Dumbledore that maybe Lupin would have helped Sirius get in. And so um, even though Dumbledore firmly says, like, I don't believe anyone in this castle would do that, um, it still kind of brings up some suspicions. So first of all, it may add some fuel to Harry's theories from the last chapter that Snape is trying to poison Lupin for some reason. Or right, or that he has it out for him in some way. Has it out for him in some way. Um, so we have more evidence that Snape hates Lupin, but we don't know why at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have any, enough information to have any theories, do we think, at this point? Not really. I mean, it's, it seems to me that it's clear that Snape has some sort of grudge right. against Lupin, but we don't know why. Um, Harry notices that his attitude towards Lupin is different than his attitude towards Lockhart, for example, or Quirrell, mm-hmm. um, even though... Snape and Quirrell did go head to head a bunch of times. It was never this like public or this vitriolic. It was more of like a good versus evil type thing. This right. feels more personal. And it's strange because when he did, it's not, he's actually polite to Lupin to his face. Well, kind of. Co- yeah. Kind of. I mean, they're very, but I mean, he's making him the potion and he like sort of is ostensibly polite to him in that moment. Yeah, but even like. When they're having that um, conversation in Lupin's office, Harry can just tell by the way that Snape looks at Lupin, right. like how much hatred he has for him. Right. I, yeah, that's true. So they can tell, but they're they're not having an outward conflict. Right. Um, right. But definitely kind of concerning, probably for Harry to hear in a lot of ways that Snape is even talking to Dumbledore about this, um, and that Dumbledore is you know, being firm, but also clearly they've had this conversation multiple times. So Dumbledore clearly knows what Snape's beef is with Lupin or why he might think that there's a connection to Black. I'm sure. And I'm sure Dumbledore knows about, you know, why Snape has such a huge problem with Lupin and vis-a-vis the whole, like, werewolf at the end of the tunnel prank that James played on him or that Sirius played on him, rather. Uh, but you know, I'm sure Dumbledore is just like, you know, Severus, you really have to let that go. That was a long time ago, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, and, and Snape isn't letting it go. And that's one of his character flaws, I think, is that he holds grudges basically forever. Right. Um, okay. So conspiracy theory here for a second. What if, what if we forget all about Lupin? Mm-hmm. I think there's another professor Snape could be talking about here. And it's Hagrid. What do you think about that? Oh, because of last book's situation? That plus, like, Hagrid is a new professor this year. Oh, that's true. And Hagrid is groundskeeper and keeper of keys. So, like, there might be But Harry doesn't even think of that. No, he doesn't. And I don't think the reader is supposed to either. But it would be one of those- That actually would make more sense. Classic rowling misdirections. Yeah. Yeah, We know that that's not true, but I just thought it would be, like, a fun- But it is interesting because he would actually, like, have access to getting him into the school and- um, Especially because of the situation with Buckbeak and Sirius later on, it is kind of interesting that Hagrid actually has a little bit more connection with yeah getting Sirius you know out and escaping and all of that. Totally than- <laughs> unbeknownst to him. Yeah. yeah. So that is really interesting. I never thought about that. Okay, and then we do have one other thing that we have to talk about with Snape. Everything that's going on with like Snape and Lupin is connected to Sirius Black, right? right? So Snape knows like. I remember when you guys were friends at Hogwarts. Right. So I'm assuming that you, like, are still helping him out, kind of. Right. Um, 
does Snape really like believe this narrative that Black was a Death Eater? Because we know Snape was a Death Eater. Right. But it's also not clear whether all the Death Eaters knew each other. I think, in yeah. fact, it's pretty clear that they didn't all know each other. I think that that was part of it, that they kind of kept them separate and not knowing each other so that you could, you know, I think that's part you of the You had plausible deniability yeah. and also, like, um, to keep one rat from other. being able to expose yeah. everybody. right. Um, yeah, so I, my sense is that Snape does believe that Sirius was a Death Eater. I think so, too. I mean, I don't know if Sirius... So everyone... We're, we're saying that everybody, basically, that's an adult, knows that or thinks that Sirius betrayed yeah. uh, the Potters. Mm-hmm. So Snape must believe that, too. Okay, so he would obviously be very angry if he knows that about Sirius because he loved Lily. Um, so he believes Sirius is responsible for her death. And no matter how he felt about um, James or th- that whole group, he probably really has hatred for Sirius um, in yeah, that way. And it's probably really mixed up in this like self-hatred and guilt that he feels too. Right. So he's, you know, part of it is like he blames himself. And then also, you know, there's this other person that he's always kind of hated. Right. Who is directly responsible more or less. And he, I think, yeah, he feels like, well, I know that I'm a de- I am was a deaf theater and, like, I was sort of, I still am kind of hidden about that and I was hidden at the time. So the fact that he didn't realize in a way that, like, Sirius was, quote unquote, was hiding about it or was a spy that he is very angry with himself and feels like he was a terrible person and he should have known. So I do think yeah. that you're right. He believes that Sirius was was a Death Eater, um, and that he betrayed them. Yeah, which means that, like, all of this, you know, maybe the reader thinks it's pseudo-concern for Harry is real concern. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, he really is, you know, upset at Sirius getting into the castle and threatening the students, particularly Harry. Um, we learn much, much later in the series that, you know, he was really trying very hard to keep Harry safe all right. these years at Hogwarts. So this, even though it might look like a petty grudge against Lupin, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is a real attempt by him to try to make Harry safe yeah. um, from Sirius, who he obviously also hates. And as kind of a side note around Lupin, um, Dumbledore, Snape's not really involved in this, but um, why do we think that Lupin does not tell Dumbledore that Sirius is an animagus and can turn into the dog? Um because you would think that, you know, in if he also believes that Sirius, you know, betrayed them, he's not trying to protect him in this way. And he might, well, he is smart enough to know, like, hey, Sirius might try to get in in this way. And if somebody sees dogs around, they should be aware. Yeah. I think I think it's complicated. I think we, we get a partial answer to this at the end of the book, but I did want to discuss it anyway because I think it's interesting. Um, I think part of it, is that Lupin might be having second thoughts about Sirius's guilt. Right. And so he doesn't necessarily want to, like, take away um, maybe, like, the last line of defense that Sirius has against mm-hmm. the Dementors and against the Ministry, which is them not knowing that he can change into a dog. Um, and But I think that is secondary to his own guilt and, and shame and cowardice. Because if he reveals that they were animagi when they were at school, it would be um, revealing that he was responsible for like all like leading them all astray, so to speak, mm-hmm. and like all the rule breaking that they got up to when they were at Hogwarts. 
um, and sort of outing them for all of that. Right. And and I think it, it is a little bit cowardly because it's yeah. stuff that they, they did when they were teenagers. And, you know, you'd think that Nothing's gonna happen now. that would pale in the face of, you know, an actual potential criminal and murderer right. breaking into your school. Um, so it's kind of a weak argument, but I think Lupin actually does have a pretty big problem with like confronting his past Mm -hmm. and he feels a lot of shame about it. So I think it's easier for him just to kind of believe the hype around Sirius and that, you know, he's not using his animagi powers. He's just like, he really is that good of a dark wizard, you know, or whatever. So now another topic around Snape is that he is subbing in for Lupin, while Lupin is off being a werewolf, um, <laughs> which we don't know, although he hints to that a lot in this class. Um, yeah. But he's subbing Defense Against the Dark Arts. Everyone's really pissed about it. Um, so my main question for this whole class is how can Snape get away with all the things that he does in mm. this? I mean, ever, but also in this class specifically. Um, so uh, first, I think let's talk a little bit about um house points just in general oh sure yeah because i don't think we've really discussed we haven't really gone into it and this chapter is a really exemplifies the problems with house points Uh and the questions that we have about uh, the rules and regulations around them Mm -hmm. um so one of the main things that snape always does but especially in this class is just deciding that he's going to take points from gryffindor from Mostly Harry, Ron, and Hermione, but really anyone. Yeah, it's pretty arbitrary. He um, just wants any excuse to take points away. And he will find some something that they, I guess, did, but it's usually just, like, trying to answer a question, and then he tells them that they're interrupting um, or not listening. Yeah, I think the problem with Snape and house points is not that he enforces the rules because he does and often when he takes away house points it is for someone breaking a rule or for backsassing him or whatever which is not allowed um i don't think that's the problem specifically i think the problem is selective enforcement right so harry often notes that like malfoy gets away with whatever he wants in his class um but if harry does the same things that malfoy does he gets detention house points taken away whatever um and so it's really i think the problem is that like snape obviously is favored towards Slytherins, right. and he doesn't enforce these policies against them, but he does against Gryffindors. And I have no, um, so I have just questions about House Points in general, because sure. can, I mean, we don't have a lot of answers about this, but it seems like, are there any checks and balances? Because could, Snape could just say, like, 100 points from Gryffindor, because you know, Hermione talked out of turn. Right. Like, is anyone gonna check that? Is there any, like, there must be some sort of record where this is recorded of, like, what happened, either just, like, magically or, like, actually written down. Um, and detention as well, all that stuff. Like, it's just sort of at the discretion of everyone, and we trust all the teachers to do this. But there doesn't seem to be any, like, you know, Dumbledore does a final. Mm-hmm. I think you can probably appeal to your head of house on most things. Um, and And... There will be much more of an analysis of this in the fifth book when, like, the house point system completely breaks down. Right. Um, and, and we'll see how easy it is to abuse. But um, that's also around the time when Harry and Ron and Hermione start to realize that it doesn't matter because right. they're dealing with bigger fish. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you wanted to, you could appeal to McGonagall if you're a Gryffindor. 
and say like, hey, Snape just took away 100 points because I answered a question. Right. Um, and then McGonagall will probably have a conversation with Snape and be like, look, that's not cool. Like, yeah. Can you lay off a little bit? Um, and I think that's the reason why Snape never goes like whole hog on just yeah. like, I'm going to be completely overtly biased. He keeps it on the down low so that he has plausible deniability. Yeah, and he doesn't take away so many points at once. Selective enforcement of the actual rules is a lot easier to defend than, like, overt favoritism. Right. Um, So, like, Harry would have a hard time proving, oh, Malfoy was late and there's a pattern of Malfoy breaking rules and Snape not punishing him. Then he would if Snape was, like, much more obvious about it. And then back to what you were talking about with, like, how can he get away with all this crap, basically, in class. I think, again, it goes back to that, like, he's not breaking any rules, per se. So he's got that plausible deniability thing. You know, it's not against the rules for him to skip way ahead and teach werewolves today. No, technically. And it's not, you know, nothing he does is, like, overtly against the rules of the school. So they're going to have a lot of trouble, like, appealing to the higher authorities on this. And, like, getting him fired or whatever. Well, and the kids uh, don't know why he's teaching about werewolves at this point. I think right. if Dumbledore were to f- find out this or, like, walk in in the classroom and they're doing this, I feel like that would be a situation where it would be like, hey, yeah, stop it. Uh, well, yeah, particularly because um, this is juxtaposed with the conversation that Snape and Dumbledore yeah, just had. Right. <laughs> where he expressed uh, his displeasure with... The fact that Lupin is a teacher here. Um, and Lupin is clearly ill right now with, right. with werewolf. And and so Snape is very obviously trying to get the Gryffindors to realize mm-hmm. without any, you know, he, he didn't spill any secrets. Yeah. I just want you guys to figure it out that Lupin is in fact a werewolf. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll realize later on that Hermione, this is the point at which Hermione realizes that he's a werewolf. Right. Because she does a really good job on Snape's homework assignment, which is... Two rolls of parchment on how to identify werewolves. Yeah. Um, and so Hermione realizes all these things that, that the reader's been noticing. Also, you know, Lupin is sick every month on the full moon. Lupin's boggart is a, a moon, a full moon, you know, all these things. Um, and then, like... She knows about the potion. She knows about the potion from Harry, and she'll realize what that is. Um and if she didn't already realize that the name Remus Lupin is an enormous <laughs> clue, uh, then she will now. So um, Hermione, being the brilliant student that she is, figures him out, but decides to keep his secret because he's such a good teacher and clearly the other teachers and Dumbledore know about it, too. Right. Okay, so now at the Quidditch match, um, it's packed full of events, but I think the significant stuff really happens at the end of the match. Um, So Harry sees a Grimm. And that coincides with another near-death experience. Right. So he sees a Graham, like a giant black dog that he's seen before in the stands. And um, and when he looks again, it's gone. That's, yes. That's, I think, the key thing here. Right. Because it makes it really seem like an apparition or like an omen that's not real. Yeah, like a hallucination almost. Because Every time Harry's seen it, it, it's like he looks and it's there and then he and looks again gone. and it's gone. And there are all times where it could be just a trick of the light. I mean... It, before it was at night in the shadows and then this is a very rainy windy day he's flying he could just see a black cloak and you know sort of his mind could do that sure but it's also i mean it's a magical world so maybe things could be there could just you know omens could just appear and disappear so at this point we are thinking 
at the very least, that this is not a good omen, also because, you know, Harry's tea leaves and the grim and everyone's telling him like don't worry about it that doesn't mean anything right but but that's contrary to his actual experience here. right every time he's seen one it's coincided with a near-death experience right so that is it, it seems like if we were to just continue throughout the book and nothing were to happen with Sirius speaking to animagus and all of that mm-hmm. it could still continue and just be this kind of thematic omen of yeah the Grim and what does that mean and what does that mean about him and all I think, that. I think in the hands of, um, I, I won't say a more serious author, but maybe like a more adult-oriented sci-fi fantasy author, it, that's how it would be. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be this really simple explanation of like, oh, it's actually just your godfather who wanted to come watch you play. It's like, no, like this is really a death omen and you're going to keep seeing this for the rest of your life. But I thing. actually think, I mean, well, you know, we don't have to debate like levels of writing, but I do think that this is what Rowling does really well, which is that she gives yeah she gives a lot of like red herrings or things that seem like they're either real and then they're not or the opposite. And I think in this case the the idea that oh this is really a dog, um, and it's really serious is a uh, cool yeah thing that she does. So Harry takes it really seriously when he should be taking it seriously. Ha ha ha! So he sees the grim and then. What happens after that? So let's talk about first, like, what um, Harry's experience is and then what literally is happening. Right. So all the Dementors who are supposed to be guarding the castle, by the way, yeah. for some reason just decide that now is a good time to come onto the Quidditch pitch. So why do we – what do we think? So um, this is given an explanation later, but it's – it's a weird one, and I it, I think it makes us think more about the nature of Dementors and, like, whether they're actually a good ally. Um, obviously, we're supposed to think, no, they're not a good ally. So the explanation that's given is, you know, the Dementors, um, they've basically just been passive guards for a really long time now, a couple months, and they haven't really had much human interaction, which is, like, sort of how they feed, which is on, on human emotions. And then suddenly there's this event where the whole school is there. So hundreds and hundreds of people and emotions are running really high. It's a really exciting match. So there's lots of joy and exuberance and excitement. Um, and they just can't resist. It's like a feast to them. So uh. they, they like come en masse and feed on all this emotion. Um, and since Harry is particularly susceptible to this, it, it almost looks like they're targeting him specifically. I don't really know if that's true. Um, but certainly it does seem that way to Harry and to the reader. Well, one thing I was wondering too, and I don't know if this is supposed to be possible or not, but, um, what would actually make a little bit more sense to me would be that, you know, Sirius is there and are they somehow sensing him as their target? I would say no, because most of the evidence we have is that dementors can't sense animal emotions well. Right. So they would have a really hard time identifying Sirius. Yeah. I think it's an interesting idea, but, um, I mean, everything we learn about how Sirius has been able to evade them for so right. long is that he's in dog form and they basically can't see him at all. Right. That's true. But it is, it it's is strange. Though. It is, it's a coincidence. And that idea, yeah, that idea that they're just coming because basically they can't resist all its human emotion to suck out is terrifying um and should be i i think and i mean dumbledore's clearly furious they talk about that in this chapter um and at this point you would think that they would even say like 
get out. Like, we're done. I'm sure if he had the authority, he would yeah. at this point. He, you know, he was never pleased about having mm-hmm. them there. Um, and they don't actually do anything. No, well, As we see anything. over the course of the book, because Sirius has this, you know, unbeatable escape method vis-a-vis Dementors. So, right. you know, they, they serve no purpose and, in fact, do a lot to harm the students at the school. Right. Dumbledore clearly is not a fan. And next book... One of the major breaks that he has with Fudge and with the Ministry at the end of Goblet of Fire is you're allying yourselves with basically terrorists. Right. The Dementors are essentially terrorists and they can't be controlled. Um, and they they should be enemies of humanity, but right. instead you're allying yourself with them. And we see the Dementors are with Voldemort later. Right, because of course they can't be controlled and yeah. they're the enemies of humanity. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's another like clue that Dumbledore's break with the Ministry of Magic is coming um, in this in this book. So what we um, what Harry experiences during this time, he doesn't see the Dementors. He doesn't know what happened until after when they tell him. Right. But he feels like that cold feeling um, that he felt on the train and he starts to feel faint and then he eventually falls off his broom. So basically what Harry is experiencing here is a more intense flashback, basically, than what he experienced even on the train. So he heard some screaming and some green light, um, saw some green light on the train, and now he hears what he doesn't realize at this time, but knows later is his mother pleading for his life Uh um, and is very distressed, obviously, and wants to help this screaming woman. Um, He doesn't see her yet, but he does hear the screams um and i think this is i mean it's very horrible and very connected to the kind of trauma and depression that we've talked about the dementors do mm-hmm. um but but actually i think it's really interesting um based on what you just said about kind of the dementors being the enemies of humanity and what we know about them and even why they're on the field because this memory is Extremely traumatic, obviously, for Harry, but we also learn from Dumbledore and even more later on that basically, you know, Lily's love is what protected Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like the essence of humanity. That's why Voldemort, you know, can't win. That's why he, you know, right. he doesn't have love, all this stuff. So, major theme of the series. Huge theme. And it's interesting that the Dementors, that are um, basically the antithesis to all of that, are bringing up this memory that is traumatic but is also kind of their like their worst enemy in some ways yeah it's interesting i hadn't thought about that before um and i think another cool thing about well it's not cool exactly but uh it's definitely captivating about this scene is that it's getting worse every yes, time right. every time harry interacts with the dementors now it, it he hears more details mm-hmm. about this traumatic memory that he doesn't even know is a memory yet um i think he'll learn that pretty soon maybe in the next two or three chapters um but at, at, right now he doesn't know what's happening but he knows that it's getting worse whatever right. whatever it is and it will continue to get worse until he finds tools to to help him with dealing with this right um, so I think that is kind of also like a PTSD or something like that as well, because it, it sort of just keeps getting on worse and worse. And it's this positive feedback loop until you can find interventions that help you with it. 
Hufflepuff wins mm-hmm. over Gryffindor, which does not often happen. It's usually kind of a Gryffindor Slytherin competition. That, that's what we see in terms of the skill of the team, and also probably because that's where our main characters are. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. I so this is, um, you know, interesting for the series, not only in this book but for future. Um, I think mostly because we get introduced to Cedric Diggory as a character. Right. Um, right before the game, they say, like, Digger- they have a new seeker. It's Cedric Diggory. He's really good. And he's the captain, too. He's the captain. Everyone loves him. Um, and we will, of course, learn much more in the next book. But this is his first introduction. And what I think is most interesting about it is that we find out that um, Diggory didn't notice that Harry was falling off the broom or anything during and he caught this snitch just happened to be at the same time all this was happening the dementors came on right and he was sort of unaware until after it was too late and so when they won the um hermione says that he tried to give it back he tried to like say like let's have a redo yeah he wanted a rematch i don't want to win this isn't fair the way this happened right um and i think that that and they didn't let him do that but i think that that even though he and Harry didn't really have a specific interaction, it's really um, a cool kind of foreshadowing of future for for the next book and for the Triwizard Tournament and the maze. Yeah. Um, because Cedric really Cedric and Harry have this competition, but also has um, Cedric also does have this feeling of like let's make things fair let's do things together um and that starts out from right now before he even really knows harry i think it's it's unique so far in the series because what we've seen from hufflepuff more often than not is that they're lumped as sort of the other house Mm -hmm. they're not given really any importance sometimes we interact with the characters but it's usually not in a positive way yeah Um, so far so far i mean in, in the last book it was kind of like Ernie McMillan and Justin Finch-Fletchley and Hannah Abbott all being like, I don't know, maybe Harry is the heir because, like, look at how he's been right. behaving and all this stuff. And so you kind of think of them as, like, idiots, right. maybe. Um, or at the very least, like, not as aware as the reader is about what's going on. Yeah. Um, th- I think that's a, a mischaracterization, really. But what you see here is that Hufflepuff has people in it, like Cedric Degree, who are essentially, like, scions of the house they're like the epitome of what hufflepuff should be right hard-working fair very you know interested in like justice and loyalty friendship things like that um that we see in like personified in cedric uh, right. over the course of the next book basically that's that's all we get i think really but um it will be a very important part of that book as you said it will and it's cool to me to to even read this chapter because I actually completely forgot that Diggory was even introduced before the fourth book at all. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of forget about this because it's just a small part of um, one chapter that is extremely dramatic in other ways. Um, right. But this is another way that I think that Rowling's writing is really good because she obviously plans things out far in advance and um, she'll plant these little seeds that are really significant and not just like a throwaway here's this person's name but like let's see something of this person's character yeah because it's going to be important later yeah no i think it is really it's really well done 
it could have just as easily been something like Victor Crumb, where he's introduced in Goblet yeah. of Fire, and then he comes back later as a very important character. Cedric could have been the same thing. Yeah. You know, we meet him at the Quidditch World Cup. Right. So that could have been his first introduction. But instead, you know, we see it here. And importantly, we see a lot of his major character traits coming out. Right. Where, you know, he's tall, strong, and handsome. Yes, he's got those physical traits that everybody seems to respect and admire. But he's also got these really intrinsic, like, house uh, affiliation traits with Hufflepuff. Mm -hmm. He's not just, like, an other. He didn't just get sorted there because he didn't belong in any of the other three. It's like he really personifies this ideal of of fairness and, like, a competitive spirit. Yes, but, like, what he wants is for it to be a good game, Mm -hmm. not necessarily for him to win. Um, and so I, I really have a ton of respect for Cedric as a character. I think he's very, very well written because, um, the stereotype about Hufflepuffs really gets destroyed by him, Mm -hmm. I think. And then as we come to the end of this chapter, I wanted to talk about sort of like in a narrative structure way, how this is maybe the first of two low points in the book. Um, with the second being, uh, just before Harry and Hermione go back in time to reset everything that happened. Right. Um, because so in, in a narrative structure, a low point essentially is when everything seems to be going wrong for the protagonists and things seem to be going really well for the antagonists. I think most films and books have at least one low point um, where it seems like there's no way that they can win and they might as well give up. And it's often like a very depressing time for the protagonist. Um, so Harry here, not only did he lose the Quidditch match, his prized possession, his most prized possession in the Nimbus 2000 is completely destroyed beyond repair. He has this inexorable weakness to Dementors that he doesn't understand, he can't figure out, and it seems to be just dogging him constantly. He sees the Grim again, not to make too much of a pun on dogging, um, and he's really worried about like his own impending doom with right. that. Um, Sirius Black is still after him and, and has broken into the castle and no one knows why or how. Yeah, it's um, a low point for the whole school, too. I mean, even it's worse for Harry in all of these ways. But right. the fact that they just had this break in, they all just slept in the Great Hall and it was scary. They're just trying to get back on their feet. And then the whole school's on the field and all the Dementors come. I mean, yeah. it's worse for Harry, but everybody feels terrible when the Dementors come. So their threat of safety is not... No, you're right. I, I I think immediately of Dumbledore and, and how he probably perceives mm-hmm. this as a low point, too. Um, and what we're going to see is that the next few chapters are more of a rising action for Harry. He'll recover from this low point. You know, he'll get tools to help him with all of these things that are wrong this year. The Marauder's Map, um, Lessons with Lupin, the Firebolt, you know, all these things will actually create conflict. Yes, but they will also help Harry out of this right. dark place that he's in right now. Um, and the other thing that, that I would say is significant in this chapter is that Lupin is gone. Right. Lupin is a werewolf and so is holed up in his office. Um, Snape is teaching defense against the dark arts yeah. and is more of a bully than ever before. So, And, and Draco Malfoy is abusing the privilege of having his injury. Um, and so... There's really no goodness. There's no goodness in this chapter. It is, it's all bad. Even the weather is... You know, mm-hmm. tormenting him. Um, there are, you know, bright sides to that. As we see, Hermione's solution of the impervious charm is really cool. Um, but, you know, it really seems like everything is sort of crushing in on him. And, this is one, And everybody, too. Yeah, and this is one time where we don't talk so much about the titles anymore. But I think that this title, Grim Defeat, is pretty just... It's a pun, but it's also like... It's very uh, apropos. This is what's happening. We're all in a Grim Defeat mode. 
yeah, I, I think it, it is it is worth talking about because yeah. it's a grim defeat for everybody at Hogwarts. Yes. Um, I, I mean, even Cedric Diggory would probably say this really isn't how I wanted it to go. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anybody in Hufflepuff is excited about it. You know, it feels crushing mm-hmm. to see like they really want it because, you know, Cedric had a chance to actually beat Gryffindor fair and square. Oh, yeah. He might have done it, too. Yeah. But instead, now it's tainted with this like really weird feeling where it's like you know it it harry had to like fall off of his broom and the dementors are there and like the whole school is probably like oh my god like is he gonna survive yeah it doesn't feel good as no, a win at it all. does not feel good and and you know everything going on with again with snape teaching the class and serious black breaking in the whole school is like on edge and feeling this like crushing weight of defeat so it really is a great title for the chapter Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and Grim Defeat. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially maybe the chapter title and how it's relevant to the events of the chapter, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. Drop us a line. We love hearing from you. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we chart our way through Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.